Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hello. What's happening, Derek? Not much, man. Not much. How's your garden? It's, uh, so last week the update was that we had built it and filled it with dirt. So it's a terraced garden type thing. We had to, we have a gigantic black walnut in the backyard. Mm -hmm. So black walnuts do not agree with most, uh, plants. Plants. Kills them. Kills them instantly. So we built it above ground, put down a layer of uh, cloth protection to keep the roots from touching our plants. And so, but anyways, last weekend we, uh, planted. So I got like, you name it. Like I, I've got, uh, uh, you know, like oregano and, and basil and thyme and potatoes and carrots and like, you name it. It's a full yeah. one. So you're, you're growing yourself a stew. Yes. <laughs> Remember those rabbits we were talking yes. about? So the rabbits. So come August, you're going to have rabbits, you're going to have potatoes, carrots, 17 different herbs and spices. <laughs> yes. Kentucky fried stew, buddy. Well, there's not only just a, there's not only going to be a fresh crop of vegetables. The, uh, the rabbits that live in the backyard, they had three babies this year. We've seen the little tiny babies hopping around. So come fall, they'll be, uh, fresh. <laughs> Fresh rabbits too. <laughs> well, that's a self-sufficient neighborhood you're I know, living in, I right? Know. <laughs> you know what I did this weekend? Oh, what? Nothing. <laughs> Between Mother's Days and birthdays, and yes, yeah, yeah, and whatnot. That was it. <laughs> that good was times. A, good that times. Was a good times. Yeah. I ate. We had cake, chips, pop. You know. <laughs> Well, it's hard to really get out and do stuff on the current situation, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I've been watching Kevin Callan videos lately. He's oh, been yeah? doing a lot of, um, little videos. He goes out, there's a couple little, uh, woodlots near him. his little buddy's name? His little buddy? The little puppet, Andy? The Muppet. Oh, Gary. Gary. Yeah. I'll get into that in a second. <laughs> uh, but he's been doing wildflower um, identification. I've seen, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, he did one a little while back with the leeks and, uh, I think the trout lilies and there was something mm-hmm. else too. Uh, he just did another one with trilliums and I learned, I, apparently, and I never really thought about, I don't think I've ever actually smelled trilliums. Oh. The difference between white and red ones. And the white ones grow in good soil and the, the, the red ones grow in like more acidic soil. Oh, okay. And they smell bad. Didn't he post pictures of one that had green and white? Oh, there are green and white ones too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize that there was a difference in smell between the two. I never even thought that they would have a smell at all. I never got down. flowers. Yeah, but I never actually smelled them before. Yeah. We've always stayed away from them because in Ontario, you're not allowed to pick them. them, Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it takes seven years for one trillium to grow a flower. Wow. Seven years from root to flower <laughs> or seed to flower. Yeah. <laughs> that brings up something. The, uh, I, I got some, uh, asparagus seeds to plant asparagus. And as we're going through all the seeds and how to plant them, how far apart, stuff like that, <laughs> we didn't plant them because the, the darn asparagus takes three years before you get anything. Really? They're an annual. So once they're, you plant them in like the fall or something and they overwinter. And so by the third season, they'll start to sprout your asparagus and then they keep coming up every year. 
And it's like, well, we need three years. I didn't plant them. (laughs) That's why we don't have a front lawn full of trilliums. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so if you go to uh, Casey Happy Camper's uh, YouTube channel, there's a new uh, video there of, um, he's been, like I say, he's been doing the spring flower. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's got a whole bunch of other things there as well. Uh, like trees and identification. He's a very stuff like knowledgeable that. man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he does the thing with, with Birchbark Media. Uh, they filmed this little, these little episodes with Gary the Puppet. Yes. <laughs> and he's just put one out, uh, Camp Etiquette. Yeah, I saw the title. I haven't watched it yet. Gary needs to learn some Camp Etiquette. <laughs> uh, Kevin's been posting a couple things, even in the, the Wildflower ve- uh, video. Um about the shelters because he was going through this wood lot mm-hmm. and people are building these uh, yes. shelters and leaving them yeah. up. And they, they did one in the, the video as well with Gary mm-hmm. and yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's up there as well. Um, I was looking at Google the highest lake in the world. You think that would be kind of a straightforward? You think that'd be a slam dunk? This is it. Because I'm thinking, where's the highest lake in the world? And because a couple of of paddling videos we we've watched over the last year, um, you know, they're they're f- helicopter flying them in, and they're you know uh, paddle boarding or or yep, yep. kayaking these glacier fed lakes mm-hmm. way up high in mountains that there's no way you can get to them without a helicopter, without a helicopter yeah. sort of thing. So I'm thinking, where are these, some of these highest lakes in the world? Cause if I'm going to do something like this, it's going to be like in the highest one. Yeah. I'm not going to, Hey, yeah, I went up to the mountains and paddled the 18th highest lake in the world. No, <laughs> no. whoop de doo da I'm pa- So I Googled as you do, or as I do world's highest lake. And, well, it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> it seems to be very controversial. It's like, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I was looking to, and it's like, it just doesn't, uh, so one, one webpage says this lake, another webpage says that lake. The and main, the main one that pops up first is Lake Titicaca, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it's like 12,000 something feet. Yeah. And then there was other ones that coming across and I'm thinking, well, that's not, this is, they're saying this one's the highest one now. But then they switch between feet and meters and it's confusing. So I did a little bit of research. A lot of them are in like Tibet and Nepal. Chile. Or Chile, Bolivia, Argentina. So, you know, Canada's not included in any of this. No, no. So (laughs) Canada's got to step up its highest lake game, that's for sure. So it's going to get a bucket brigade and fill in a uh, a crevasse. So... (laughs) I start looking at some of these. Did you know a lake can go extinct? Which should not be on the list. If it's extinct, it's if not it's a ex- lake. It's not a lake anymore. And so I, look, I find this list of top 10 lakes. Some are called pools. That's not a <laughs> it's lake. It's not a lake. It's 100 meters. <laughs> if you can throw a rock across the other side, it's yeah. not a lake. If we can have a conversation like this and hear each other across the lake, that's not a yeah. lake. Um, there's Yeah, there's this one here in Tibet. It's uh, now considered extinct. Then you know what? Even though it was at 20,892 feet or 6,368 meters, 
if it is dried up and no longer fills with water, it is an X lake. It is no longer a <laughs> lake. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, a lot of pools, like Changsi Pool, East Rongbuk Pool, Akamarachi Pool. It's a pool. It's not a lake. It's a pool. 15 meters. Are you kidding? <laughs> I think I can spit farther than that. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the definition of a lake, and it says, all it says, it's a large body of water surrounded by land. So there's, it's really, <laughs> that could be a puddle. <laughs> it's pretty, li- okay, you know what, science guys, you need to step <clears throat> your game up too. Because, yeah, I mean, depend, what's large? Whose point of yeah. view says it's large? Well, I've got a pond in my backyard. Can I start calling that a lake? Well, if you're a mouse, <laughs> that's a large yeah. lake. That's a large body yeah. of water. <laughs> Uh, then they get these ones. What was number one they had on there? Oh, there's one called Aguas Caliente. That's only, that's in Chile. And then number, number 10. Um, that's in Mount Everest's neighborhood at 8.7 miles. Okay. You know what? That, that's a lake. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... I'm going. I'm going with uh, Lake Titicaca anyway because the rest of these are. You know, I don't think that I know what they're talking about. Um, the highest one they say is just under twenty-one thousand feet in Chile and Argentina, the world's highest active volcano as well. So the crater is filled with this. So how is an active volcano filled with water? I guess it's not active at the top. Not or just it's not minimally blowing, active. Yeah. So, Just enough to heat the water? I'm guessing. There's actually one of these volcanoes is uh, similar to volcanoes on Mars before the water dried up. <laughs> so they're studying what the water's... Oh, okay, yeah, Because yeah. like there is a small <coughs> lake, and I use the term loosely, uh, in, in this volcano. Um, and they're saying it's really similar to what it would have been like on Mars. So they're actually studying it hmm. to see the similarities and stuff like that. Uh, but that, in effect, took me to Mount Everest. There's a lake on Mount Everest? No, uh, that took me into something else. There's uh, a big to-do happening at Mount Everest oh, right now. Oh, yes, yes, yes. To deal with COVID. <laughs> uh, let's see, there's, there's, oh, I got to get it straight now. There's Nepal. And Tibet. And Tibet. Now, which one is? Tibet is the one that. On the Chinese side? Yes. So China China claims uh, domain over Tibet and Nepal is independent. Right. Tibet claims to be independent, but China argues that point. Yeah. So climbers to go to Nepal or to to the Everest summit come up both sides. Mm Mm-hmm. Nepal base camp is apparently running rampant with COVID. Yes. Tibet's base camp, and it's not only it's not only Everest either. It's other, other uh, of the. There's a couple other mountain range uh, in the area that people climb as well. All the base camps have COVID running through them, and everybody's trying to. It's it's like divided. Um, the Sherpas are half of Sherpas are saying we need to shut everything down. And stop the spread because it's going to spread into the towns. Yeah. And the other half are going, no, we can't. We need the money. 
So we have to keep this running. So there's, yeah, wow. So China said that they are sending a group of 21 climbers to Everest to make sure there's a line um, they, that keeps everybody separate. Separated. So you don't have mixing climbers at the peak. Yeah. So what what kind of job is that going to be? You're going to have some some guard with a with a some sort of firearm at the peak of Everest saying, "Oh, oh, stand back." All they say is this weekend they sent some 21 Chinese national climbers to the summit to enforce a line of separation between climbers from Nepal and Tibet. It's unclear how exactly the line will be enforced or where it will be implemented, expecting a group of Chinese climbers to linger in the death zone above 26,000 feet, keeping climbers apart for hours at a time. (laughs) Seems unlikely. So, I don't know, is there going to be 12 people there with a fence? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I don't don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, no, my search for... uh, Highest lakes in the world took me to uh, Mount Everest, apparently. Yes. <laughs> Things happen, dude. Things happen. What a weird job, though. It's like, yeah, you're going to go and uh, risk your life to climb this peak to, uh, you're going to be, <laughs> you're going to be the bouncer that keeps the groups apart. Wow. <laughs> At the peak. <laughs> Strange things, dude. Strange yeah. things. Uh, closer to home, though, Frenchman's Bay on the weekend, last weekend. Ah, uh, yeah. Or I guess not last weekend. When was couple Thursday last Thursday mm-hmm. yeah and there are uh, this drives me nuts so marine unit from the Durham region police services doing their job doing their job saw three kayakers no life jackets yep if they had been wearing a life jacket they probably would have been smiling wave yeah hey boys enjoy your time so they said, hey, you know what? You're not wearing, we better do a full-on safety check then, yeah. a vessel safety check. Because if you don't have the life jackets, chances are what you else don't are have you doing wrong? the yeah. safety gear. Um, and the fishing license they were going to check as well. All three of them had charged. Yep. Two counts of offering a pleasure craft, no life jacket, and one count, no safety gear. Some of the comments I know people have made <laughs> about this mm-hmm. astounding. It's absolutely astounding. The way pe- I don't sometimes I just don't understand the way people try and argue a point because it, you're 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 starting on on a losing foot, right? and so why would you even argue the point? You know what these gentlemen they they are were they didn't have life jackets, so it's like oh. There's Durham Region Police. It's like, better check on these guys, right? It's just like driving without a, a seatbelt or your headlights off at night. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Uh, somebody says money grab. <laughs> yeah. Really? I don't think that's the point of it. Like, um, like what would what would the, uh, you know, if you don't stop checking people, if they're not wearing life jackets, people drown. And then it's like, ah, well, you know, uh, maybe if we had to check these guys, they could have stayed safe and survived and thank you for busting these criminals where would we be if tickets weren't given out for this stuff the world would come to an end for sure yeah stupid comments yeah there there really is um and then all of a sudden it takes a complete left turn 
there are corrupt politicians to arrest. <laughs> Here are two. And they start naming like different politicians. And then it all turns into um, investigating corruption, fraud, and treacherous actions of the Liberal Party and its member. What does number one? <laughs> the Marine what does unit. The Marine unit. <laughs> I it, it it became like a cha- a train wreck. I I just had to keep reading. Just like, <laughs> where are you people going with this? It's the Marine unit. Oh man, you know what? You don't you don't wear your life jackets and everything when you're out there when the cops are around. Yeah, right. You know it's. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're not supposed yeah. to do it. These guys knew they were, they needed life jackets, didn't have them on. Yeah. And it, it actually doesn't say whether they were actually had it in the boat or not either. They just weren't wearing them. Yeah. So, ah, good times. <laughs> Some people. These are the things that make me wonder. I know, right? <laughs> um... Last week, we talked about the Mississippi speed record, yes. Mississippi River speed record. Yes, we did. And at the we have time, we were talking about several groups that were engaged because it's early season, mm-hmm. high water flow, and so it's a good time to to make a, a race for the time. Yeah. So the, there was two teams we were talking about, the MM0 team, which was almost done, and the... Team Mississippi speed record, which has had just started. MM zero team, uh, team of four led by father and daughter duo claims to have broken the 18 year old speed record for paddling the entire 2,350 mile length of the Mississippi river. So they're done. Um, on earth day, April 22nd, the MM0 team departed the headwaters of the Mississippi River in Itasca, Minnesota. They had 18 days, 4 hours, 51 minutes to secure a page in the vaunted book, Guinness World Book of Records. That was the standing speed record for paddling the entire length of the mighty Mississippi record set in 2003. So almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Quartet set a new new mark for Guinness to approve 17 days, 20 hours. So that's, uh, that's eight, like eight hours, hours, 51 minutes yeah. off. Uh, they charted their progress on GPS and made the announcement after their, on their official website and on Instagram. Team Mississippi speed record is paddling right now and are nine days in. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. So come next week. So I bet you Guinness is going to wait till they're done. Yeah. Because if they break the record as well, well, then maybe they'll come over say, yes, MM0, you broke the record. Congratulations. And by the way. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> these guys, that yeah. record stood for. <laughs> yeah. Stood a for week. a week. Stood yeah. for a whole week. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think if, if they're going to go down to keep whittling this down, whittling this down, it's going to take a supported marathon paddling team. Yeah. So they just paddle and they show up somewhere, their gear, their tents are set up, their meals are prepared, they eat, they go to sleep, they get up, eat, and take off while somebody else looks after Does all the, the tents and, yeah. and everything. So I'm not sure I agree with that method 
and and well, we've had this conversation about the meanest links yeah. as, as well. Because last you know. year, the 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 current record holders for the meanest link, they they were fully supported. They they had this custom boat, and the only thing they carried with them was some water for the day and some snacks. So mm-hmm. every time they pulled over to eat, there was a there was a minivan there with a with a team of people to feed them and get them going again, and and so they never had to carry any packs. They never had to carry any weight. They they were. But see what that's that's the spirit of the meanest link. The meanest link is supposed to be a big support, an unsupported, unsupported, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, deal like that. Yeah. I don't know about the Mississippi speed record. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, there's. The, I think the rules are. Well, the lo- rules are pretty loose for any of these competitions. If it's just an, it's an honor thing type thing. Although the, with a Guinness record, that s- sort of puts it into a different ballpark uh, more than the meanest link. But it, um, yeah, it's it's. There's no rules or hard and fast rules about watercraft that you use, and mm-hmm. and it, you know is. And from what I understand. You've got to pay Guinness to come and to certify your certify record. your mm-hmm. your yeah, um, and apparently it's some good money too. Oh yeah, like we're talking like thousands oh. of dollars, like a hmm. couple of thousand bucks at least. Yeah, to have them come over and well, or it, come yeah, up or whatever. Takes, yeah, it's man hours. It's, it's time to mm-hmm. yeah. So you know, Guinness would have to go in and <clears throat> certify the time. They'd have to make proof find exact proof that you did do it that you didn't cheat you didn't take a cab halfway and and stuff like that right so <laughs> throw the canoe on a boogie <laughs> call a cab call an uber outboard motor yeah <laughs> so anyway so yeah hopefully next week we'll know whether um if team the, Miss, mississippi speed record yeah. is uh done even better yeah or not <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be funny eh? like Funny in a sad way for the for the uh, father daughter duo, but uh, you know they beat the record and then Mrs. Team Speed would come along and say, "Yeah, your record stood for a week, but uh, we're the new winners now." <laughs> Dag nabbit! <laughs> but you know they'll still have the record; they just won't have the fastest time. For, yeah, for a week for a, a whole week they'll have the record. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that week in two thousand and twenty-one. It was a great week. <laughs> Uh, what else we got? Oh, Ontario Sea Kayak Center uh, up in Perry Sound here, Ontario. Women on the Water Festival. They hold it every year. I can't remember if they had it last year or canceled because of COVID. I think they ended up canceling, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and I think this year it was supposed to be in the early summer or something. Yeah, it's, they it's moved usually it. like early early summer. And so they moved well, it this year. Yeah, they've moved it to the August 21st, 22nd weekend. Uh, with everybody arriving on the 20th, uh, bringing together some of the most celebrated kayak, canoe, and stand-up paddleboard coaches in Ontario. Women on the Water is open to all women from beginners to advanced paddlers featuring kayak, canoe, stand-up paddleboard, uh, skill sessions. This year, they're adding a new on-water discipline for the women to try, (laughs) rowing. There you go. Uh, We saw some people rowing double in on the Trent Severn. Oh yeah? Yeah. A, a, a man and woman were paddling and they were like in sync and it was like a big, like a dory style. Yeah. Pa- uh, boat. It's a good boat. workout. It's a good workout. But they were like, they weren't even looking and they were going dead straight. <laughs> it was like, yeah, they've been doing that for a while. <laughs> 
running the super this weekend super safely, they will have 40 paddlers maximum with eight instructors having only five paddlers in a class with one instructor. Only two people in a cabin, one at either end. You may have more if you choose to and if you are all in the same bubble. Uh, you may also bring your own tent and sleep alone if you prefer. All catering will be outside or if they have bad weather, dining hall with everyone sitting six feet apart. Perry Sound, Georgian Bay, Ontario, August 21st, 22nd. All women are invited, all skill levels welcome. Go to OntarioSeaKayakCenter.com, click the events tab at the top, then you'll be able to get more information. All the women I've talked to that have gone to this have really enjoyed it. Yes. Uh, and yeah. if they're... If they have to cut down the the number of paddlers they can have, I have a feeling it's going to go uh, it's going to go fast. So, um, let's take a quick break here and uh, come back. We're going to talk about some more things that are going around on um, south of the border right now, and uh, a pretty cool things. So we'll be right back. Hi, this is Dark Sparst. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. If you like what you've been hearing, you can find out more by checking us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page for our website, where all our podcasts are available for download or streaming. We love to hear from our listeners, so if you have a suggestion for the show or want to let us know how we're doing, please drop us a line. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So a couple of things I found out about that are going on in the States this summer. Uh, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Say if you're one of those people who love to try outdoor activity but don't have the gear and experience, they've got you covered. After a year-long hiatus due to the pandemic, the Department of Natural Resources is relaunching its I Can program series at that helps beginners of all age groups learn new outdoor skills while visiting a state park or recreation area. Uh, here are some of the options with registrations starting May 3rd. And this is at a lot of their state parks, not just yeah. one park. And it's, uh, you say relaunching, and I see here it, uh, they first started this program in 2010. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it seems like it's been very successful. Well, nearly 100,000 people have participated, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but yeah, so the, there's the, I can camp, I can paddle, I can mountain bike and I can hike, uh, camps. There are more, they do have a couple other more, uh, a couple others on their website, but the, I can camp program provides hands-on instruction on setting up camp, starting a campfire, camp cooking, and other activities to do at Minnesota state parks. All gear is provided, including tent, air mattresses, cooking gear, and other basic camp equipment. One night, two night, and backpack programs are available, or you can opt for a two-hour mini session. 
So, I mean, that's what a lot of people need to know to start camping, even if it's backcountry yeah, camping. Exactly. Just because I think what keeps a lot of people out of uh, programs or, or from taking part in activities is just unfamiliarity. And yet it's like that first leap, that first step to get into it is if you can be guided into it and shown the ropes, it's, it, you, you get a lot more people involved. And, and with, uh, for example, these programs, if it can show you how to, you know, leave no trace and, and so on, how to be safe and how to, you know, safely do certain activities. I think it's, it's useful to, uh, to put these programs on. And, well, and, that, and you could see them. I think it would be very handy if, if like places like, you know, Killarney or Gonquin or whatever, you know, yeah. Ontario parks did something like this, right? That, yeah. That'd be awesome if they did something like this. Uh, but it's also when you're looking at, well, am I going to lay out all that money just to find out I don't like don't it? Don't even like it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And you know what's going to be parents going, hey, let's see if our kids, we may do this as a family thing. Uh-huh. And the kids don't like it. Good thing So I then didn't. you're <laughs> stuck with tents yeah. and yeah, stoves exactly. and, and everything else, sleeping bags and whatnot that will then end up at a garage sale someday. And it, well, it's not just that. Maybe you might have liked it if you had approached it the right way. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, that was a disaster. I could never figure out how to light the stove. I never, we never got to cook a hot meal and we never got a fire going. And you know, we uh, couldn't figure out which is the front and the back end of the boat and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. We kept facing each other in the canoe. and <laughs> Which, yeah, from personal uh, experience, I've seen that happen. Yes. So it, these programs would help you get over the little, the, the mini hurdles to, mm-hmm. as you learn how to use an activity. The I Can Paddle program teaches the basics of canoeing or kayaking, including launching, efficient paddling, and planning a safe outing. Programs are designed for first-time paddlers and all equipment is provided. Two-hour canoe or kayak programs are available, as well as one-night canoe camping program. Nice. I believe the canoe camping program is not available in all the parks. Probably not the ones without water in it. Oh, that might make a (laughs) bit of a difference, wouldn't it? (laughs) You boob. (laughs) Just a thought. Um... (laughs) (laughs) I can mountain bike. This program teaches mountain biking, uh, mountain bike riding techniques uh, at Cuyuna County State Recreation Area, Minnesota's world-class mountain bike destination. Mountain bikes and helmets are provided. And the I can hike new program provides two-hour hiking sessions to teach people how to safely and comfortably enjoy the outdoors. No experience or specialized gear is necessary, and each program has a longer and shorter distance option to match the comfort and ability levels. Huh. Uh, costs for each activity vary. But no, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, what do they say? We provide all gear for our ICANN programs along with friendly instructors who can show you how to use it. Uh, Erica Rivers, Directory, Director of Minnesota State Parks and Trails. Our goal is to make it easy for all Minnesotans to get outdoors, have fun, and enjoy the health and wellness benefits of nature. So if you want to check this out, go to the Minnesota State Parks and Rec Areas. Uh, Just Google that and it comes right up. And click the I Can link on the left side menu. There's a bunch of different links on the uh, left-hand side of the page. I'm thinking the odds of uh, a listener not already knowing how to paddle and 
camp is probably not listening to our podcast. Well, you never know. <laughs> Could happen. <laughs> but in Minnesota, hey, if you want to get others involved, yeah. you know, uh, the Department of Natural Resources says because the health and safety participants is the, the health and safety of participants is the agency's top priority. They are closely monitoring the latest COVID data and will adjust programming accordingly. And those that those participating will have to be free of COVID symptoms, maintain social distancing between anyone who is not a household member, wear a mask, face covering in a group setting if social distancing is not consistently possible, and not share a campsite or equipment with someone from another household. You know, the normal. Is there, did they... So they say costs vary. Did you look at any of the costs? Like, were we talking? Is it like entry level level priced as well? Yeah, they weren't. They weren't all that expensive, from what I remember checking those out. Um, and of course, that was all in the U.S. funds too. Mm-hmm. So does it look? The prices look like it was. Uh, oh yeah, you know state not subsidized that, yeah. or like cheap enough that it's like cheap enough that not people really making money. They're just using them covering to, yeah, costs. Covering costs. Uh, so check that out again. The Minnesota State Parks and Rec areas, recreation areas, and click the I can link. Um, get a lot of information for especially new newer people, right? Yeah, they may be listening to us. So no, well, well, what what would be more realistic is like there's experienced paddlers out there, and they're like, hey, my friend wants to get into it. They've never paddled. Hey, so you could suggest this to them, right? Mm -hmm. For beginners and people who, you know, maybe want to get into, you know, paddling, camping and and so on. They can just, you know, you can tell them about this program and it's an easy, easy entry level way to uh, try out something new that's uh, not going to, you're not going to have to, you know, lay out a lot of money on a, you know, expensive gear and so on, right? If you just want to try it. And if it's a couple that are maybe thinking about getting into paddling, they go try that together and then find out they're not getting married. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because that's the biggest test, right? Yeah, exactly. See how long you can paddle with somebody. (laughs) I always knew it as the Erie Canal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's strange the way they call it, they named it that way, eh? The New York State Canalway Water Trail Stewardship Program has been launched um, to help ensure the Erie, Cayuga Seneca, Champlain, and Oswego Canals are welcoming for safe and safe for paddlers. I didn't realize there was more than just the Erie Canal. Yeah, I know. This is uh, quite the uh, list of canals. Mm-hmm. I thought it was all one giant mm-hmm. canal system, hmm. I guess. Interesting. Um, 50 miles. 450. That's... Yeah. So New York State has, has this new stewardship program they've launched. Uh, they are Individuals, families, groups, and organizations are invited to adopt a section of the 450-mile New York State water, canal, Canalway Waterway Trail from May through October. And I bring this one up, A, because it's, it's great areas to paddle. Uh, but we t- we've been talking this, this last couple months about taking ownership of parks yes. and rivers and places you paddle, right? And Even it seems with the uh, the green, the, the gr- green boats. Yeah, the green boats. Right, exactly. 
And so I think it, it like there's lots of lessons learned from uh, from like you can adopt a highway program and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's just a way to get people engaged, involved, and and you're going to be less likely to uh, have a polluted waterway if people are taking ownership of the waterway and want to make it their their section look pretty. And mm-hmm. if you, if you if an individual is more likely to be littering, they're going to litter more in an area that's already messed up. Yeah, they're not going to care. So, well, you know, there's like ten thousand water bottles floating past me. It's like, what's one more? But if it's a clean, pristine waterway, then it's even the bad characters, even the bad people, are going to be a lot less likely to uh, to litter on their own. You would hope. You would hope. You would mm-hmm. hope. So, yeah, you know, I mean, this is just this. It's this is just a different way, a uh, different option as sort of the same as the adopt a highway. Yes. Right, because yeah. what is it like? Is it you, you adopt a mile of highway or a couple of miles of highway or something like that? And yeah, you know your company or family or whatever goes out and exactly picks up litter off the side of the highway every so, spring. It's uh, you know let's go pick up some trash. And, mm-hmm. and this is so this is uh, basically the same sort of thing, but on a canal system. Uh, they go on to say, as we invite more paddlers to use the canal system, we are providing resources, improving access, and now promoting good stewardship to ensure that paddling here is a world-class experience. Uh, Bob Radcliffe, Executive Director of the Erie Canal National Heritage Corridor. We are thrilled that outdoor enthusiasts, including boaters, cyclists, nature lovers, and paddlers, are enjoying this National Historic Landmark. And with that comes the need for good stewardship to protect the waterway. Now they 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 went on in the the articles I was reading about, you know how the canal systems were used to grow the economy of the country and you know build the country and stuff like that. Which you know yeah, so you want to keep it and it's still still used. Yes, and right? so they're used to maintain just like the Trent Severn. It's it mm-hmm. was. Well, you know, it was the first way of uh, of easily transporting materials and goods. It was a cheaper method. It's you know, back in the day when roads weren't as reliable and and so on. It's mm-hmm. a it's a great way to transport. And so these things were were a lot of time and effort was put into building them, just like the Trent Severn. And, and so why not preserve them? Why not keep them as a uh, tourism route as opposed to a commercial route? Well, and they got the Well and Canal even in. Niagara, right? Mm-hmm. You see the big ships going. We used to go just to watch the big ships go through. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You see a ship passing over the overpass. It's like, <laughs> why is there a ship up there? <laughs> Volunteer stewards will perform light maintenance at launch sites, observe and report issues, and act as friendly ambassadors for paddlers using the waterway. Volunteers will steward a section of approximately 10 miles of the water trail, contributing to four to six hours a month. So yeah, four to six hours a month. I mean, that's yeah. that's, a, that's a Saturday or a Sunday. Yeah, that's just a, a weekend week, hike you know? and, and yeah. clean up. All volunteers will complete a virtual orientation, be provided t-shirts and supplies, and have access to additional training. All volunteers must be at least 12 years old with adult supervision. Yeah. So Makes like, sense. it's a family thing, right? Yeah. Uh, what else? He goes on to say this new initiative ensures our waterways will be safe and clean for visitors from across New York and beyond and underscores our commitment to maintaining the canal status as a tremendous resource and economic driver for generations to come. So if you want to find more sign up and, and whatnot to do, be a steward, um, 
eriecanalway.org backslash water trail. So, and the canal system opens for the season on May 21st. That's coming up fast. That's what uh, next Friday. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Next Friday. So I'm just reading some of the stats. It was uh, date of first use is May 17th, 1821. Oh, that's a couple of years back. It eh? does connect to the Weldon Canal. Mm-hmm. Uh, 36 locks. Huh. Yeah. It's, uh, it's quite extensive. 584 uh, kilometers. Yeah, yeah. The New York State Water Canal Waterway Trail comprised of 450 miles of canals, interconnected lakes, and rivers with more than 140 access sites numerous paddling rental locations, and several boater, biker, hiker facilities that allow overnight camping at canal parks. A comprehensive guidebook and map set for paddlers is available at eriecanalway.org. So this is, how long, how many days would it take you to paddle 450 (laughs) kilometers? I know. Or, or, sorry, miles. And plus it's going to slow you, like as you experience it, just go doing yeah. the uh, the the lock system is like really going to slow you down, right? Unless you mm. portage them. Get my little horn out and get the big ships out of the way. <laughs> meep meep. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny if you had a meep meep horn. Yeah. <laughs> meep meep. So, but you know, again, like I say, this is you know the next step in the taking ownership of yes of places exactly. you paddle, especially yeah, if if you're paddling these areas now, then what's how hard is it to take a garbage bag with you or something? Pick up some stuff on the way. On yeah, a exactly. day. Get, get your buddies yeah. out and say, here, here's a garbage bag. Mm-hmm. Give me a hand. And uh, scoot the, the shoreline of, of garbage. So, um, What else do I got here? So we have been... I, I was kind of humming and hawing about this, this one. There's a lot of... of People, you know, yeah, we can go down on the Lake Ontario or whatever and do a paddle. Cause you know, you're supposed to be able to get some exercise and some people are taking too far. And then some people are complaining, well, we should be able to go camp backcountry camping and, yes. and all of that because mm-hmm. it's social distancing. And that's been a really big uproar about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know what? If you want to cancel front comp- country camping, that's one thing. But why are you canceling backcountry tripping and and all the stuff? Because everybody's social distanced and, well, as social distanced as you can be. Yes. You know. But I think the primary logic behind it is that uh, if you are going into the backcountry, you do have to inter- interact with a park staff to get mm-hmm. your tickets and passes. And, and if something happens, right? you're traveling out of your hospital area. Exactly. You're, and you're, all you're that, going right? into new, different regions. Yeah. So that's, that is the, the end all of, of it mm-hmm. is, is that, um, but there's, like I said, there's been a lot of people, I mean, originally when the first wave hit, you weren't even allowed to go down to your local river or lake. Yeah. Right? Uh, I remember. Yeah, exactly. What was it? Uh, it's a guy in Ottawa got, uh, ticketed and everything. Yeah. They closed down boat launches. And boat launches, parking. They put. Yeah barriers across the, the boat launch areas mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, and yeah, you know, people were sneaking out on the lake. Yeah. You know, <laughs> how do you sneak with a canoe <laughs> on your head? <laughs> yeah. I am sneaking. 
so the RA Center in Ottawa, uh, operated by the Recreation Association of Public Service of the Public Service of Canada. There's a little uh, interview with them on CTV News, their website. I found this one. And Canoe Club member Mark Scott says uh, he was still out on the water well into November last year and adds canoeing is the perfect activity for seasoned paddlers and beginners alike. And those interested in a new COVID safe activity should choose canoeing as an option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So if, yeah, if you're looking for something to do because parks are closed and and all that sort of stuff, right. Yeah. Then paddling says it's very easy to paddle six or eight or 10 feet away from other canoes. Or if you're paddling as a family group, you've got mom, dad, and a couple kids in a canoe. Uh, canoes, canoeing holds all the characteristics of other popular COVID safe activities like hiking or biking, being outside, keeping distance from others and engaging in physical activity. But Scott says it brings a different element that you can get, that you can't get in many other places. It's what you get to see. Uh, recalling a time not too long ago that he was out paddling and watched a bald eagle dive into the water and catch a fish not a hundred yards from his boat. Now, I, after seeing some of the things going on with the hiking, I got to disagree with that one. Yeah. The hiking trails are just, were just. They're jam-packed. Jam-packed. And with that many cars, without even seeing the hiking trail, you can't tell me all those people are social distancing. Exactly. When you've got 60 cars lined up along the highway because (laughs) the parking lot is full, that hiking trail better be a hundred kilometers long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing that's important about canoeing is the national cap in the, in the national capital region. So he's talking about the Ottawa region, right? Correct. Yeah. Is you don't have to travel far. There are areas that have easy access to the Ottawa, Rideau, Gatineau and Mississippi rivers. Uh, And one of the things that's important with COVID is that you not travel long distances. Right now, I mean, here we've got Duffins Creek. We've got Lake Ontario. Where mm-hmm. you are, there's Bowmanville Creek. Yep. You know, a little farther down, you got Port Hope, you got the Ganaraska mm-hmm. coming through as well, out farther your way. Yeah. So I'm not uh, traveling, like, you know, for me to paddle near home, I'm not traveling into different regions or yeah. different health units and so on. And because I think what, what what people don't appreciate is like, well, I'm social distance. Well, you know, if you become injured, you're going to have to go to the hospital. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the key problem is, is they, they're, 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 uh, they're crushed for time as, as it is with people coming in with COVID. They can't afford to be, you know, because you're being dumb and you injure yourself and, or just as, you know, simple accident. It's you're, you're affecting treatments for people with COVID and you're potentially, if you do have to go to the hospital and you have COVID and you've become injured or paddling, then you're exposing, you know, the nurse and doctor staff to unnecessarily because of, you know, your, and which is why they don't want you to change regions or travel outside of your uh, health unit. Well, and that's the big, big deal, right? Because a lot of people are going to these small towns. Yes. And the small towns are something, all of a sudden they were start getting a COVID outbreak. Mm-hmm. They can't, they can't handle it. Yeah, I was uh, early on last year when COVID first struck, 
I was reading an article and some of the locals were in like in Bancroft were saying, please don't come up here to your cottages. Like the, the local Bancroft hospital at that time, I don't know what the situation is now, but at that time they had three ventilators in their mm-hmm. hospital. So they could treat three people if you had to be on a ventilator. And so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. It's like, there's only so much room and so much staff to be able to treat people if you're wandering outside of your region. Well, and that's what everybody's got to watch. So stay in your region. Stay close to home. And this is what they're saying about the Ottawa area is that he can, you can go to umpteen lakes and rivers in the area. You're not leaving the area. You're not leaving the area, right? There's a vari- uh, there are variations of different canoe strokes to be learned as well and skills the RA Center's Canoe Club is willing to help with. Perfect. Starting in May and June, they're going to have actual training sessions for flat water for people who've never been in a canoe. Uh, as for securing a boat and paddle, the RA Center can supply those pieces, but at a rental store such as Ottawa Valley Canoe and Kayak, they are already booked well into the summer. There you go. Which is, yeah, I mean, that's that's a bit of an issue right now is everybody's booked solid everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. People are looking for things to do to get out and do things, right? So, of course, it's going to put a, you know, you're going to put a stress and strain on, on resources and areas and there's only so many trainers to go around, so many boats to go around. And- mm-hmm. So that's... Uh, Something to look at. Yeah, so go on, go on the Google and Google the RA Center in Ottawa, and they have a whole bunch of information there, and especially if you're in the Ottawa area and are uh, looking for some paddling stuff. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what? He's he's got some points. Definitely. I mean, if there's enough bodies of water around you that yes, you can get to, exactly. Use them. Yeah. There's no reason. You know what? Like, I mean, we've been pushing urban paddling over the last year or so talking about it. And I mean, we're in Toronto area, so there's lots mm-hmm. of urban paddling around here. Uh, we got what the Duffins here, we got Rouge further on You can go. Um, I know, uh, Alan Drummond likes the, the, the Harbor, Toronto Harbor. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get out there in the afternoon or something, or first thing in the morning, you see the CN tower and, and all that sort of stuff, a couple of ferries going by and. Stuff plus the other side, the total west side of Toronto has its little tributaries going out of Lake Ontario. You can hit those, so there is definitely waterways around that you can use. And it's fascinating to paddle these urban areas, these urban creeks, because it's like you know you could you could drive over an overpass you know ten thousand times, and and then that one time you paddle under, it's like wow, this is a really nice creek. It's like right in town. It's mm-hmm. you know I've driven over that overpass over top of my head there so many times I just never realized how beautiful some of these local creeks are. Yeah, yeah. So that's why that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully I'm out this weekend. Yeah, I haven't been out yet. And you know, that's fun fun things you can do is like paddle up the creek and count all the shopping carts and count all the footballs and all the soccer balls. What is and- what's one of the weirdest <laughs> things you found local paddling in the water? Um, well, nothing really unusual. I found. Yeah. Shopping like, carts and fridges. Yeah. Like dryers, boots. Yeah. Yeah. Those are like, normal yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like washing machines and, and it's like, you know, in some cases it's like, like how much effort does it take to get a shopping cart? There, there's no roads. I'm in the middle of nowhere and there's a shopping cart in the middle of the creek. 
<laughs> had to get there in the wintertime over well, the What ice. about your a dryer? Yeah, I know, fridge? right? <laughs> I found in Dufferin's Creek last year, and I couldn't get it out, um, a fire hose. A fire hose? An uh, entire fire hose. Wow. I don't know where it came from. There was a road nearby? No. So somebody would have dragged it there somehow. Huh. But I think it's, you know how you see the, the ones in apartment break glass in case of yep, emergency yep. and haul out the fire hose? It was like one of those sort yeah. of things. So a couple kids. Stole one and yeah. realized it was too heavy to carry. Yeah, trying to pull it up. Yeah. That was ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. But. Yeah. It is interesting to find though, like, you know, like I say, shopping carts is one of the ones that I've seen mo- most often. Yeah. But then you're like, and, and it's just what some of those legacy items, like sometimes you think, well, what was around here? Because you're, you you know, there's a, when we paddled the creek in Bowmanville, it was like, why is there a pile of concrete in the creek? Like, and there's no roads around. Like, mm-hmm. how does this happen? Must've been an old farm back in the day. Back Who knows? The, yeah. What, right. Yeah. Yeah. Some old foundations. Yeah. I mean, you, you go buy some, some creeks and you're paddling mm-hmm. and you see the foundations of an old road or bridge or yeah. something. Right. But there's no roads around. Yeah. You know, it's all been overgrown or. But it always makes me fascinated just the history of areas. Like, you know, back in the day, back in the, you know, 17, 1800s, when people started moving and farming this area, like you have no idea what, what was here because it's a lot of these farms are abandoned. Now they're just whatever. Right. So it's just, it makes me wonder. And, you know, it's, it's caused me a few times to go visit the local museum and you you can find uh, like maps and old maps and old pictures and and historical things about what farms were where. And, and so you see some of the old families that used to uh, farm the area and it's like, oh, so this family farm the area way back when, and I can see that road is named after them. That road is named after them. And so you see all the original families that moved to the area have all these roads uh, named mm-hmm. after them. It's, so it's just one of those things that's when you do urban paddling and, and you get through some of these areas, it's like, it's really kind of get your, gets you thinking about what, uh, about the history of the area and who used to live here and so on. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and even some of the train bridges and stuff, you know, you see old train yeah. bridges or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or you see newer train bridges and an old one right next to it with a, you see this, this little plaque on it yeah. built in. 18 whatever or stuff like that. Or you find a bridge and there's no road in sight. And it's like, where'd the road go? Yeah, there's a road in the way. <laughs> there's a bridge here. So, so yeah, get out and do some local paddling. And if you're in um, the Ottawa area, check out the RA Center. And uh, they may be able to start in May and June. They say they're going to have training sessions that you can go participate in. Awesome. Now, uh, you got anything else? I don't. That it? Nothing? Nothing. Zip. Zero? <laughs> no. Wow. Well, alrighty then, because I've got nothing as well. That was it. <laughs> Been a long week, dude. It has. A long yeah. week. I just got so much to do. I'm hoping this week I can just take some time, relax, and maybe get out on the water. You know what I want? I'm, I'm before we call it a day, twig stoves. Uh, What's David Bain's new? Twig stove aficionados. Twigs on Facebook, Twig Stove Aficionados. Yeah. I've been following that. It's like, it's, it's fascinating what people are doing. Some of the Twig Stoves and, and some of the neat stoves that people have. It's like, it's, I'm riveted that new Facebook group. I, I don't, and I've mentioned this before. I can't see taking a Twig Stove 
and being your only source for cooking on a trip. Yes. I would, uh, I, Mike Burns used to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. He, he was, uh, he's an avid twi- twig stove burner. I think he was probably the first one that I knew that actually yes. got one. Yeah. And so he was, uh, it, it was one of his favorite things. And I, I've gone on trips with him where he cooked all his meals on this twig stove. And it was mm-hmm. like, and, and for me, like I, I've tried it. I like, uh, you came over to my place one time. We were trying out one and boiling oh, water. Oh, that and, new. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't look like a nuclear power reactor. Yeah. But what, what uh, for me, it, I think my issue is that it blackens the pots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people say, you know, if you're going to be cooking on a twig stove, you cover the bottom of the pot with, with uh, like, you know, your your camping soap or something. And, and then it's the, the blackening doesn't actually attached to the metal it just washes right off it's like yeah but i don't want to be slathering everything up with soap and you know what i mean so i don't know it's oiling uh, it up like a greased pig what i need is i need to buy myself a nice chunk of canvas to wrap my pots in so that i don't mind getting them dirty because the worst thing is like getting the soot from a pot all over every other piece of gear that's in your barrel and you know what you need one of those brand new Paddling Adventures radio drawstring bags that you can get from our <laughs> store. Did you get one? How thick's the canvas? Is it a I canvas? Haven't got or? One. I haven't got one yet. I got t-shirts. Will stuff. it hold a pot? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It'll hold hmm. pot. There you go. <laughs> I mean, a pot. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll hold your pots. It's just like these regular yeah. other ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's, that's what I'm using. But... My thing with, I think if I got a twig stove and I am contemplating one, um, I'm only about 70% sold, yeah. but that's up from 0% sold. So, <laughs> uh, I, I'm contemplating one. Um, but I think I would use it for day trips where, yes. you know, oh, find a beach and maybe have a swim and then start up the stove and boil some water for a coffee and exactly. maybe yeah. a light lunch or something. I, I can't see me doing a full meal over it. It'd be like, oh. I know, right? I'd whip up my stove and have it done like that. As opposed <laughs> to, oh, okay, I got to do this and keep feeding it keep sticks. Keep feeding it sticks and, in. Uh, got to find a good supply of little oh my twigs. my God, I sound like a whiner. <laughs> 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 I want my food and I want it now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but no, I'm, I'm contemplating picking one up. And here's the next thing is, is the weight difference worth it? I somebody posted a video and I totally couldn't find it. But is the weight difference that much of a big deal between the the, the lower steel model and the high titanium titanium model? Model, yeah. right? There is. Uh, I, I've. Uh, what, what is it? K. Kid. K I H D. K I H D. So I, I, I remember going to the, uh, what was the last time I went to a show? It was a Toronto Outdoor Show. They had a booth there and I, I picked up the two different models and it was very tempting. Like I didn't buy one of their twig stoves, but I was going to and I was like really debating between the titanium and the stainless steel model. And in the end, I didn't buy one, but uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit more hit on the pocketbook to get the titanium, but it's yeah. significantly lighter. Yeah. Is it worth? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's like a good hundred bucks or something more. Something like that. Yeah. 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 It's like 110, 120 for the stainless yeah. and then 180, 190 for the That's titanium or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, you know what, if I was going out for a day trip and they can pull over, mm-hmm. you know, at a beach or somewhere and make some coffee or something yeah. or, you know, heat something up for lunch, you know, some water that you're doing a freeze dried thing or whatever. Yeah. Then that'd be cool to be able to do that. Um, but to use it and only that. Exactly. It's uh, so it's a pretty reliable system. It's not like you're, if you have a white gas stove that that's not going to fail on a trip and then you have to use, you know, a fire pit as a backup. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, the fire pit is your backup. And then you're just like, well, you know, I'm on my way to the park. I don't have a stove. And, oh, I just heard about there's a fire ban as soon as I checked into the park. Now I can't even use my twig stove. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Good times, buddy. (laughs) I'll let you know what I decide. Because apparently that's all I'm doing right now is I can't get out on trips. So I'm just buying stuff. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, And I tell you, I was looking at a a hammock from Australia. We won't get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Although you had to go to Australia to find a good hammock? No, no. It just popped up on my screen. And somebody tagged me in something. And because people know I'm, I'm, and they are having a contest where you can win a free one. Oh, but for, and they're only, we're, we're like 95 cents to their dollar. Yeah. Right. So it's not. So not it's pretty equivalent. Big. Um, I think it's like 125 bucks for the, the hammock. And then for another 175, you can get a tarp and a bug screen. With, and it, everything comes with straps and the whole yeah. Yeah. Deal, deal sort of thing. So 275 bucks. But it's free shipping on anything over 50 bucks, but everything on their site is over 50 bucks. So, <laughs> so basically everything is free. So basically shipping. everything's free. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I don't think I need to spend 275 bucks on, on a, a hammock. On a hammock. No, 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 no. At some point, Tracy will put her foot down. <laughs> uh, anyway, if you want to find uh, more about us, you can find us at battlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream episodes from iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, and iHeartRadio. And you can find us on our episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can listen or stream or download all 274 uh, episodes or go to your favorite podcast downloading site and find us there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.